a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in another Veritas 2020 video. Today I want to share with you some of the common thoughts that Satan likes to bombard us with if we give him a chance. Thoughts designed to get us away from God, get us away from God's Word. We've already talked about some of this in a previous video. Sometimes these kinds of thoughts begin to form in the backs of our minds. We hardly even notice they're there. They just gradually come to our minds and gradually over a period of time become very serious problems. So I just want to get some of those thoughts out in the open <laughs> instead of it hiding there in the dark recesses of our minds, bring them out into the light so we can see them for what they are, deceptive thoughts. Before I do that, though, this may be a good point just to kind of underline something that I've talked with you about before in earlier Veritas 2020 videos, and that is the, the importance of making it your business to find a good, spiritually strong Christian mentor. It is so important for young people to have a good, strong, solid, biblical Christian mentor. Someone they can go to, maybe who's had a little bit more experience in life than they've had. Someone who's lived in God's Word over a period of years, who's read, studied, and walked with the Lord. Someone who can help you think things through when you have the tough questions, you know. The truth is, it's not just kids that need this. All of us Christians need people like this, not just young people. We all need godly people in our lives who can help us because we're at any stage in life, we're going to have some tough questions that come to our minds from time to time. God's going to use those questions to make us stronger in Him, but we have to get answers, and, and it can really make a difference if there are other godly people to help us think these things through. I'm telling you, it's really important. But if we don't have a mentor... When questions like these come into our minds and we don't get help finding answers or maybe we feel too embarrassed or we feel too awkward to even ask the question, we think, oh, I don't know that there's going to be an answer to this one and so we're afraid to raise it. So many times we just gradually start down the wrong road. It's a road that leads to bad outcomes. I'd also like to add that we need the kind of mentors that can make us feel safe. And, and let me explain that because that could be taken the wrong way. I just mean people who won't ridicule us or shame us when we ask tough questions. People who can help us deal with tough issues and, and not act like we're weird or something. You know what I mean? We'll say, oh yeah, I can understand how that would cause a problem. Let's think about that together. Let's pray about that together. We'll find some answers here. I'm telling you guys, it can make a huge difference in your life. And if you don't have a mentor right now, if there's not somebody coming to your mind right now that you could go to when you have the tough questions that you know will help you think it through and pray it through, you need to pray for somebody like that. Ask God to put somebody like that in your life and then get busy and seek them out. I mean, look for people like that in your life. We all need someone to, to disciple us <laughs> as we're learning how to disciple others. You see how this works? Yeah, it goes on all at the same time. Okay, let's consider a few of these questions or thoughts that can enter our head. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of Zig Ziglar. He used to do motivational speaking, but he was a strong Christian guy. He was my Sunday school teacher for a while when I lived in Texas. But Zig Ziglar used to, he wrote a lot of books, you know, to encourage people, motivate people, especially businessmen. But he used to humorously call thoughts like we're talking about today. He would call it examples of stinking thinking. He would talk about stinking thinking. <laughs> well, there are a lot of examples of stinking thinking, and we need to learn to recognize it. 
Some of these are going to be things we've already talked about, but I want to bring them back to our minds. Okay, here's one. I've made some really bad decisions, and it's making me feel bad. And I'd like to feel better. But I really don't think I want to do it God's way. <laughs> so how can I feel better about these bad decisions I've made? That process can go on in our minds. Of course, the Bible says when I've done something wrong, I'm supposed to repent, right? But I don't really want to do that so often. I don't want to change. I'd rather stick with my behavior, but I'd like to feel better about it. So maybe I can make myself feel better by just rejecting Scripture. That's stinking thinking. And we've already talked about that in the last video. God will bless repentance and confession of sin. Any other choice, no matter how hard we try to think about it and rationalize it, <laughs> any other choice is going to lead to a lot of pain, guys. Here's another one. I'm only young once. Doesn't everybody try out some of these things when they're young? I'll have plenty of time to act old later on. <laughs> it's amazing how many people try to justify sin by appealing to their youth. But guys, sin is still sin. Just because you're young, or just because a lot of other young people are doing it, doesn't make it any less sin. Doesn't make the consequences any less severe. Here's another one. I think I'll feel a lot cooler if I just fit in with the others and don't worry too much about my Christian upbringing. This, this idea of being cool gets way too important in the minds of a lot of kids, especially, but adults too. I mean, I'm telling you, the drive to be cool can be incredibly powerful. You've known people like that. Maybe it's true for your, you, in your life. <laughs> but a lot of us get to feeling like, oh man, Whatever happens, i got to be cool. I want to be cool. <laughs> and if something in God's Word seems not to be so cool, then I guess I'm just going to have to leave that behind because that's not really cool. <laughs> now, it's, I hope it's obvious to you that if we dig just beneath the surface just a little bit, we begin to realize that being cool, all it means is doing things that we think will make a certain group of people like us and accept us. It's a very dangerous temptation, guys. In his letter to the Ephesians and also to the Colossians, Paul had a name for these people. He called them people pleasers. He warned them of the danger of trying to please people instead of trying to please God. And guys, that's the danger of trying to be cool. We're caring too much about what people think. We got to get it into our heads that there are far more important goals in life than being cool. <laughs> they really are. And there are people who find it so overwhelmingly important to be cool who later on in life look back with horrible regrets because they were cool for a few years, but now in the process of being cool, they've made a mess out of their lives. Watch out. Here's another one. All these non-Christian professors are asking questions that I can't answer, and they seem to be so nice. Maybe they're right after all. Well, as I've said many times, there are really good answers to the tough questions. We just need to be willing to dig a little. And we must not confuse being nice with being right. Some of the most wicked people in the world have sometimes, at some points in their lives, seemed incredibly nice, at least to some people. Do you realize it's possible to be a child molester and yet most of the time seem to be really nice? It's possible to be an adulterer and seem to be really nice. It's possible to be a murderer and seem to be nice. Remember, Satan himself can masquerade as an angel of light. <laughs>
Here's another one. How could all these scientists possibly be wrong? I mean, they've studied this stuff for years, haven't they? We've talked about this when we talked about evolution, but this thought can tempt people to just accept evolution even when they hadn't looked at any evidence at all. The truth is, listen guys, many scientists really don't have any greater understanding of the molecular structures and functions in the cells than you do. They're evolutionists for the same reason that most non-scientists are evolutionists. And for the same kind of reason that most kids want to be cool. <laughs> most scientists are evolutionists not because of the evidence, but in spite of it. The truth is, and this is sad, but it's true, biological science faculties in our universities are usually controlled by secularists. Many of them refuse to accept what the evidence points to. The evidence, I promise you, points to the fact that God is the creator. And many brilliant scientists understand that very well. But to many others, oh, they say that sounds too religious. They don't like that. They just emotionally don't like it. So when we point to what the evidence is, they reject it. Or they may accuse us. They say, oh, you're just appealing to the God of the gaps. They'll say, we'll figure that out someday. <laughs> the truth is that the claims of evolutionists is a kind of faith in what we might call science of the gaps. Because their attitude is, well, scientifically, there's no way to explain it right now. Yeah, I know it looks like there's a creator, but we've got faith that someday we'll be able to get the creator out of the picture. We'll be able to explain life without referring to God at all. They're wrong. <laughs> Here's another one of those thoughts. I think I'll have friends more to my liking if I just sort of soft pedal all this Christian stuff. I just won't talk about it. I won't bring it up. I don't think I need to talk about this. It's just another form of the coolness factor. Just watch out for it. You don't want to soft pedal your relationship with Jesus. How about this one? How can I claim to believe things that I really can't prove anyway? <laughs> well, there can be a problem here with this word prove. <laughs> You think about it for a minute. There are many things in life we accept without being able to prove them. You know, we just learn to go with the evidence. We accumulate evidence and we say, okay, I see what the evidence points to. So we get on airplanes without being able to prove that it'll get us to our destination without crashing. <laughs> you know, we take medicine. We even go into surgery without being able to prove that the medicine will work or the surgeon won't mess up. We take trips in our cars without being able to prove that the car is going to get us where we're going without exploding. <laughs> we go to restaurants and eat food without being able to prove that it hasn't been poisoned. We go to sleep at night in our beds without having proof that our home heating unit won't burn the house down. The truth is God's left us plenty of evidence that points us to him. And it's really foolish to just try to ignore all that amazing evidence, guys. That's what Veritas is all about. Here's another one. Some kids will start thinking like this. I'm not sure I really believed all that stuff in the Bible anyway. I can't see that it's actually done me any good. Do you realize when I was young, <laughs> uh, there was a period of time, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but when I learned that Santa Claus was make-believe, I actually wondered for a while after that if someday they were going to tell me that Jesus was make-believe too. And I think there's some kids that kind of grow up with that thought in the back of their mind. They think, well, I'm not sure I can believe all this stuff. It sounds too make-believe. It can't really be true. And it's not doing me any good now. That's, that's their logic. Okay, this is, it used to be useful to me. Now it's not useful to me anymore. 
This is the kind of thinking that can happen to kids who've been raised in the church, maybe even in Christian families, and everybody assumed they were Christian, but they never really bought into it in their hearts. You know what I mean? They were there. They went to all the meetings. They kind of took it for granted. They may have even made some kind of decision, vacation Bible school or, or a revival or whatever. They may have even been baptized. But down in the heart, they kind of looked at Christianity and going to church as something that, okay, it's supposed to be good for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fun. I've got some friends there. So I guess it's good for me. And, of course, it is good for us. But listen, guys, this is important. We have to get past just thinking, I'm a Christian because I think it's good for me. Because ultimately, it's not really about me, and it's not really about you. It's about Jesus. You understand that? It's all about God. It's about worshiping and loving the true God. It's all about truth. You see what I mean? It's not about what I think is good for me. I don't evaluate and say, well, I think this is good for me now. I'll take it. Or I don't think this is good for me. I'm going to leave it. No, it's about what's the truth. The truth about Jesus. The truth about God. The truth about the Bible. Realizing what he's done, who he is. And yes, it does turn out to be very good for us. In the long run, when we go with the truth, the truth makes us free. And the truth brings us great joy. That's true. But when I make it all about me, it's easy for us to leave it all behind when at the moment it doesn't seem to be doing for me what I wanted it to do for me. You see what I'm saying? That's stinking thinking. <laughs> Here's another one. These non-Christian people seem like pretty good people to me. They seem nicer than a lot of Christians I know. Well, okay, that may be true. I mean, it's often true. that I mean, there are many, many non-Christians who are wonderful people. Many non-Christians are very, very sweet, very, very nice people. But guys, that doesn't mean they're making right decisions. Doesn't mean they're going down the right road. Doesn't mean they're not going to have regrets later on in life. But we don't want to deny that many, many non-Christians are nicer and more likable than some people we know who call themselves Christians. That's just a fact of life. But we shouldn't try to decide who's right or who's wrong on the basis of some niceness scale that's in our mind. You know what I'm saying? It's a matter of what's true. Well, here's one more common kind of question that, that can come to your mind. Anyway, where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> this is the kind of question some people like to ask when they're just looking for an excuse. They, they look for something in the Bible that's difficult to understand something they don't think they have an answer to, and they conclude, I can't trust this book. That doesn't make any sense. I can't believe the Bible. This is crazy. And they throw out the whole Bible, again, without giving somebody a chance to explain the answer. This is where a good mentor can really help. The tough questions really do have good answers, including this one and many others just like it. But listen, guys, as Christians, we need to be prepared for those kind of satanic attacks recognize him. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be lulled to sleep. Many, many people are going to fall into his traps. They're susceptible. We need to make up our minds in advance that if necessary, we'll just stand alone with Jesus. There's something a lot more important than going along with the crowd, guys. Something far more profound 
than the herd mentality. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, there's a reminder that uh, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, and I think what he means by that is there are people that we have recorded in Scripture who live their lives with their focus on the Lord, who are willing to stand alone, who gave us great examples of being willing to stand alone and keep our focus where it needs to be on the Lord. And so it's good for us to think about some of those examples. They're witnesses to the power of God to bring them through life and to bless them and to bring glory to God by just being willing to stand alone. Here's an example. David. You remember David became king, became the greatest king of Israel. At one point in his life, he said this, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, people are laughing at me. People are making fun of me. I become a reproach, he said, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. They don't want to be around me. Oh no, here comes David. Let's hide. Those who see me in the street flee from me. They saw David coming. They ran the other way. It couldn't have been much fun, could it? It wasn't very pleasant. There was a time in his life when God was teaching David how to stand alone. He had to learn that lesson. So do we. Of course, God used those times to prepare David for a day when one day God would do incredible things through him. He was going to be the great king. He was going to write a whole lot of scripture. So part of his preparation for that was learning to stand alone. You remember Job, book in the Old Testament, book of Job? At one point, Job said, my relatives have failed and my intimate friends have forgotten me. He felt all alone. You remember the Apostle Paul? When he, when he was taken to Rome, he said, At my first defense, no one supported me. All deserted me. He had to be able to stand alone with the Lord. You remember Daniel in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel? He was taken into Babylonian captivity. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. You remember what he purposed in his heart to do? He purposed in his heart to stand alone. Even when others were going down the wrong road, he refused to eat the food that would have involved him in sinful Babylonian idolatry. He, was, he said, I'm not going to do that. He was willing to stand alone. And of course, God rewarded him powerfully for that and used him powerfully. Of course, our supreme example is Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus. You remember, he set the example for us in so many ways. But you remember when they came to arrest him there on that last night before his crucifixion? The Bible says they all, talking about his disciples, the, the people who were closest to him, they all forsook him and fled. So he went to the cross alone to pay our sin debt. But in doing that, he set an example for us. There are times when we need to be willing to stand alone. And then to underscore the importance of that being willing to stand alone, Paul wrote this to Timothy, and these are wonderful instructions for us. He said, You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Yes, there'll be some hard times. Yes, even friends and family members may forsake us. But of course, ultimately, we're not really alone because Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. <laughs> so no matter who else leaves us, even if our dearest friends and loved ones don't want to have anything to do with us, no matter how much it might seem that we're standing all alone, 
We're not really standing all alone because Jesus said, I'll always be standing there with you. We just need to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually prepared for those times when it feels like we're all alone. Everybody else is going down the wrong road, and we're saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm not going down that road. Just never forget, Jesus will certainly be with you, even to the end of the age. Got it? Don't forget it. Stay in the battle. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these kids, especially watching this video right now. I do pray you'd encourage them. Lord, I know and you know how hard it is to stand alone. But I pray you'd teach them that important lesson, Lord, that they can keep their focus on you. When friends and family members may be doing the wrong thing, going the wrong way, thinking wrong thoughts, listening to the enemy even. Lord, I pray you'd help them to keep their focus on you and draw strength from you to stand alone. Lord, help them also to recognize the kind of stinking thinking that Satan likes to put in our minds to get us off track. Lord, help us to get answers to the questions and to keep our focus on you and to let you work through us as only you can because we know, Lord, that if we'll stay in that battle, the time will come when we'll look back and we'll be so glad that we kept our focus on you and that you were able to use us to get glory for yourself, Lord. That's what we want. We don't want to look back with regrets, Lord. We want to look back knowing that we've been where you wanted us to be, doing what you intended for us to do, no matter what anybody else does. So help us, Lord. We ask for your grace and mercy to stand firm. In Jesus' name, amen.